Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Um, If you were here last week, my family was in Chattanooga enjoying the snow in March, but we had a, a good time. And Michael was up here. Now, each week, you don't see this, but up here we have a TV, which is what is called a confidence monitor. It's supposed to give whoever's on stage confidence. And we, I see what's currently on the screen, and I see what my next slide is, so we know where we're going. And then there is a clock, which gives me the current time, and then there's a timer counting down, which is currently at 24 minutes and 23 seconds. So it starts at 25 and it counts its way down. And each week, Campbell's goal is for me to finish before that timer turns red and starts counting up. Now, last week, he sent me a screenshot because Michael finished in 23 minutes. So there were still two minutes left on the clock, which I let Campbell know those minutes roll over to today. So that's how it works. Although I told Paul that, and he said, well, you're already at a deficit uh, for the year. So but that doesn't that doesn't really help. But we'll we'll see how we'll see how we go. Now, if you've been here, you know we've been going through this life is a garden thing. And we've been taking it kind of slow. We've made it through chapter three of Genesis. Uh, but I think it's really important because over the next few weeks, we're now moving out of those first three chapters, and we're gonna be hitting kind of some big stories of the old testament and moving into the new testament. And I think we've laid the foundation so that once we get into these later stories, you're going to hear similar words and similar themes, this kind of garden metaphor that's going to show up. Now, if you haven't been here and you want to go back, um, or you were and you want to go back, you can go to our website, newgarden.church 2022. All the slides, all of the lessons are up there. Um, and so if you think, man, what, what did we say about chapter two? You can go back and listen to that. And so what I want to do is, for those of us who have been here and haven't, a brief recap, okay? And this is going to pay off in in the kind of main chunk of our lesson. But the story in the Bible, it starts off with um, God creating everything we know, right? And and the story starts off with what the earth was in this pre-creation state. It was wild and waste, unordered, uninhabited, tohu vabohu, You get the sense that there are just deep, dark, chaotic waters covering the whole earth, okay? So just think dark, chaos, water. And then God speaks into this this environment, and he says, you know, let there be light. And so in the creation story, on day one, you have this wind of God, or the, the Spirit of God hovering over the chaotic waters. And then God creates the separation between light and day, or light and dark, day and night, Day two, he moves forward to separate the waters, the waters above from the waters below. So he creates kind of this middle space known as the heavens. Day three, dry land, 
appears, and then vegetation starts sprouting on the dry land. Day four, he then kind of goes back to day one. He created light and or night and dark and like light and dark, night and day, and then he starts filling these spaces. And so he puts the stars and the moon and the sun and makes them rulers over these heavenly places. Day five, you find the birds inhabiting the, the heavens and the waters above and the fish inhabiting the waters below. And then finally, day six, you have the, the dry land being filled and the vegetation being eaten by these animals and these humans. Okay, so just let's keep these, these days and pictures in your mind uh, as we move forward. From there, we, we moved into the next kind of short, uh, not short area, but the next couple chapters where God creates humanity. And we looked at how humanity is created, placed in the garden. Man and woman are created and unified. And then you have this dialogue between the snake and the woman. The woman and the man, they eat from the forbidden tree. Then you have a dialogue between God and the human. Consequences for all those involved. And then finally, humanity is banished from the garden. Now, what we can't do today... <laughs> is we can't spend very much time in chapters 4 and 5. But just a, a brief uh, kind of what you get into is that the humanity is expelled from the garden. And um, Adam and Eve, they have two children, Cain and Abel. And there's this test that Cain is given. And he does what is good in his sight, and he kills his brother. God shows up, continues to ask Cain kind of the similar questions. Where is your brother? What have you done? What has happened? Then you get the story of Cain's descendants, and then it kind of backtracks, and another son is born, Seth. And then in Genesis chapter 5, you get this long list of all the descendants of Adam. I think it's about 10 generations. And most of them are like, this person lived this long, had these sons, they lived this long, and then they died. But there's three occurrences you get kind of a, a secondary dialogue. And one of those is near the end. Lamech, he lived 182 years, and he fathered a son. And he named him, his son, Noah, saying, This one will give us comfort from our work and from the hard labor of our hands caused by the ground, which Yahweh has cursed. Now, you can easily just kind of breeze through this. But this little couple sentences, it highlights a lot of vocabulary, which we have already been listening to. So some ideas of the Hebrew that this uh, develops, Noah is the Hebrew word noach, which means rest. And so it's like this, this kid named rest. He's going to bring naham, comfort. It's kind of a play on his word. And what is he going to bring comfort from? Well, if you remember the, the storyline, God has cursed the ground so that it, it no longer produces like it should. And so in some way, this, this boy named rest is going to bring comfort from the itzabon. This is what the, the, the man was cursed with. With, with hard toil and labor, you're going to uh, try to get the ground to produce. And the ground is cursed, arar, which is another word that we, we've looked at. And it's actually going to come back up in the Noah story as well. So, so Noah, before he's even born, or I guess as he's born, he is set before us as this chosen seed of a woman who has a certain uh, job to do, that he's going to bring comfort from the curse, which is exactly what we are expecting from Genesis 3.15, where God, when he gives consequences to the man and woman, he tells the woman, listen, there's going to be this enmity between you and the snake, but one of your seed is going to rise up to crush 
the snake. And from that point on, we're asking the question, who is it going to be? In the Cain and Abel story, we say, is it going to be one of these sons? And Cain rises up to kill somebody, but he doesn't crush the snake. Sin actually crushes him when he crushes his brother. And so the next kind of person that is in line to be this fulfiller of the great promise is Noah. Okay? Now, we don't have time, again, to develop all of chapter 6, but mankind, from the time Cain sheds the blood of his brother onto the earth, the earth becomes cursed and becomes filled with bloodshed. And this just multiplies in the next generation and the next generation where cities develop and just more violence and more bloodshed until the earth itself is, like, just stained with the blood and violence of humanity. So much that God, he, he has this pain in his, his self, this grief, and says, I've got to wash, I've got to, to, to wash the earth clean. And in that, he has to wash away every living being on the earth um, as the story goes. And so God, he opens up the, the flood gates of the ground and the, the clouds from the sky and just floods the earth. And, and in, in the midst of this, he chooses one righteous person, Noah, who walks with God. He's blameless. And so he says, you're going to be this righteous chosen one who will um, be a remnant to save humanity through the chaos waters. So this is Genesis chapter 7. It kind of gives us an idea of what the world looks like at the time of the flood. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits high. That's how we all measure stuff, you know. Jenna, where do you want me to hang this painting? Oh, three cubits from that wall, obviously. Um, so 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. Hmm. <clears throat> the mountains are covered with water. Does this seem like, have we heard this before? Let's play a game. Where have I heard this before? Anybody? Anybody want to venture a guess? Seems like the earth is covered with chaos waters. Anybody? Oh, Jenna. We've talked about this, though. Genesis 1. Yeah. And we literally all just talked about this. Um, Genesis 1. The earth was tohu vavohu, formless and desolate. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, which is another word for waters. And so you think, wait a second. Okay, the Bible is starting to do something. Okay? Unfortunately, the, the stories that we have often are not long stories, not long detailed accounts of things. They are like three chapters about a, a worldwide devastation. And you're, you ask all these questions that the Bible, it just it doesn't give you all the details of that. Like if, if something like that happened today, there would be books and books and books and like chapters developed on it. And we have like three chapters to discuss this grand story. And even like the creation account, it doesn't give us all the answers we want. And so instead of the Bible giving us um, what we might consider a, a length of story, it gives us a short story. But then it starts stacking other stories on top of those stories. So if you think about like a, a building in New York City, they can't build, you can't build a big ranch house, like 3,000 square foot ranch house in New York City. 
But if you want 3,000 square feet, you can. You just have to buy like three floors of some apartment complex. It's the same square footage. It's just arranged differently. And so what the Bible is going to start doing, and we're going to see this, it's, it's already laid a foundation. And it's going to start telling another story on top of that story, and another story on top of that story, and another story on top of that story. And so once you get on in, the story is developing in different places. Okay? So this is interesting. Because we see similar language. Water's covering the earth again. But the question is, is does, does this pattern continue? And if it does, what is this story trying to get us to think about? Because if I said, hey, we're going to talk about Noah and the, you might say, flood. You might say Noah and the ark. Noah and the animals. But today, hopefully, when we get to the end, we're going to see Noah and the garden. Okay? So, the story continues. So, water is covering everything. Chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the animals and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Hmm. Now, if, if we think back, is there any language where there are dark, chaotic waters and a wind, a ruach of God is hovering over the waters. Yeah, Genesis chapter 1. And the spirit, the ruach. So this word spirit and wind are the same word in Hebrew. Ruach, wind, spirit. Um, The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so we have a connection between the day one of creation where the spirit of God is hovering over the waters of the deep And we have a connection between the story of Noah, where there are waters, but God sends out a wind over the waters. Now, at this point, maybe you're thinking, that's that's neat. That's a cool connection, but does it continue? So if you are a paleontologist, and you're out digging, or maybe you're just a normal person in your backyard, and you're digging, and you hit something hard, and you kind of move the dirt, and you see a bone, and you think, I've seen Jurassic Park. I know what a dinosaur bone looks like. I think this looks like a rib of a triceratops. What's what's one way that you could find out if this is actually the rib of a triceratops? You could take it to the lab and have them develop it, or you could keep digging. And if you find another rib and another rib, and then you find a, a, a spine that leads down to a tail, and you start seeing, like, oh, the whole picture is here, then it kind of confirms your suspicion. So let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 8. So dark, chaotic waters. The wind of God is hovering over the waters. Verse 2. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Is there something... In Genesis 1, where you get this separation between the floodgates down below and the the waters of the sky. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were from below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. So we, we got a picture of day two, a separation of the waters above and below. You keep reading. In the seventh month, 
On the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, I've highlighted this word. This is just kind of a bonus. When Noah's dad, Lamech, he said that he's going to bring us comfort from the ground that Yahweh has cursed. If you remember that word, curse is the word arar, from the, the ground that Yahweh has ararat. And now he's landing on the mountain of ararat. So it's just a one-letter syllable. So he's landing on the mountain of curse, and you're wondering what's going to happen. Has he just landed back on the mountain of curse, and things are going to be the way they have always been, or is Noah going to be able to make a difference on the mountain of curse? So the waters decrease steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Hmm. Is there something in the creation story where dry land appears? Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. But there's a bonus on that day. What else happens after dry land appears? Vegetation. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit according to their kind, with seed in them. And it was so. Now, in the story of Noah, you find Noah, the ark rests on the mountain of curse, and he starts doing some stuff. He opens the window. He sends out a raven. It makes it seem like the raven goes out and comes back and goes out and comes back, and, uh, and nothing really happens. I guess I'm thinking the raven just lands on top of the ark, and Noah just can't get to it, and he just keeps seeing it fly back and forth. And so he chooses another bird, a dove, after seven days, and he sends the dove out, but it comes back to him because it's a smart bird. But nothing. He goes out, he comes back. He waits seven more days, and what does he do? He waits seven more days longer, and again, he sent the dove from the ark, and the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, in its beak was a fresh olive leaf. Well, what does that mean? It means there's vegetation out there on the dry ground. And so we have another connection. Day three, Dry land appears, vegetation is starting to sprout. Now, day four in the creation story, we have the, the sun, moon, and stars being placed into the heavens and giving dominion over the times and the seasons and the special times. But in this story, in the Noah story, if you read and you look for it, it's not there. There's nothing there. And you start to wonder, why? Why wouldn't it be there? Well, did it flood the skies? No. Like, this was about uh, washing away all the earth, the terrestrial uh, inhabitants. And so everything up there is unaffected. And so we don't get any play on the, the sun, moon, and stars. But you continue. Then he waited another seven days longer, and he sent out the dove. And what happens? This time, the dove does not return to him. So what's different in the world now that he has done that? Well, now there are birds side and in the world. And what happens in the creation story? God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And so we have another connection, day five. We have birds filling the skies and Noah sending the bird out. And so now there are birds flying over the earth. Then God said to Noah, go out of the ark you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh 
that is with you, birds and animals and every crawling thing that crawls on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so you have animals filling the earth once again, and you have the, the humans on the ark going out and filling the earth. And what is chapter 1? Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, crawling things, animals of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And then he goes on to have the let us make mankind and our image and humanity forms the earth. And so we have another connection. Day 6, animals and people. Now, this is, this is really cool. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you're like, ah, oh, this is too much. I don't know what this is about. But again, the, the Bible is working in layers. It's taking a, a foundational story, and it's telling us another story so that when we hold them up, we, we can start to see the two stories together and how they play against one another. And so if you read the, the creation narrative in chapters 1 and 2, what happens after God creates the world? Well, then he goes and he plants a garden. And he puts the human in the garden. And then the human and God are in this relationship in, in this, this garden that is set up as a high place because there's a river that goes out from Eden and then divides. And so water runs downhill. And so if it starts in Eden, it's like, well, this must be a high place, like a high mountaintop garden where you're communing with God. And so we get to the Noah story and we see these hints. Oh, this is almost like a, a recreation story. And so what would we expect would happen next? Well, we should have our ears open to some, is there a garden or is there some sort of communion that's going to happen? Because back in the garden, humanity is placed in the garden and, and God says, listen, eat everything. All the fruit of every tree, it's good to eat. Uh, there's two trees that get highlighted, the tree of life and then this other tree, the knowledge of good and bad. And, and God does warn them to say, listen, don't, don't reach out and take of that fruit. Because if you do, the consequences will end in death. And so we have these two trees put before the humans in a test to see which one are they going to, to, to reach out and take. So the story continues. Noah, he builds an altar to Yahweh. And he took some of every kind of clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Yahweh smelled the soothing aroma. And Yahweh said to himself, listen, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, if you read in chapter 6 why God decides to rid humanity from the earth, it's very similar. He says, listen, I'm, I'm going to flood the earth because every thought of every human is evil all the time. And it's almost like God gets to the point where he sees nothing has changed. But I'm not going to go about it the same way. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a covenant relationship with these people, starting with Noah. Because Noah, he gets off the boat and he, he builds an altar. This is the first altar we have in the, uh, in the Bible. And if you think about what, what does an altar need? Well, you got to get some stones, right? He's probably on a high mountain. There's probably stones available. You need some sort of burnt offering to offer. And he, he has two of every animal, but he also has seven of every clean and unclean animal. And you wonder, well, has he read Leviticus yet? Like, that doesn't happen until later. And so Noah is put in the position of kind of a priest who understands what is a clean animal and what is not. And he's this priest interceding 
as a, as a making sacrifices to God, but what else do you need? In between the burnt offering and the stones, you need something to burn. You need wood. And so if you, if you read back in the story, when God can, comes to Noah, he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark out of the tree of gopher. It's the word eights. So the last time we've, we've heard the word tree or eights, it was in the garden where we heard about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of, of life. And so the next time we hear this word, God is saying, I want you to take a tree and I want you to build a vehicle which will be your salvation. It is, it's, again, it's maybe a little too far. It's like a tree of life. It's going to deliver you. It's going to give you life. And I want you to build this ark. So the ark, it rests on top of the mountain. Noah goes out. He builds an altar. And the question is, is where does he get the wood for the altar? There may have been a tree growing that he cut down. But there's also this giant boat that he apparently doesn't need anymore. So I imagine Noah taking, you know, the, the boat, the ark apart, and taking that wood, the tree that just delivered him, and putting it on the altar. It's almost like this, again, this picture of the tree of life right here that has delivered him unto life and delivered all of humanity. And God goes on, and we won't read all of this, but I want you to pick up on the key word that God talks about. Do you see it? It's the word covenant over and over. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and with all humanity. And, and never again am I going to flood the earth. In fact, part of the covenant is I'm going to put my bow in the sky. And, and it's as if God puts his bow, and when his bow is in the sky, it is facing God. As if, if anything comes out of a bow to kill, it always goes you know, out the bow. And so if anything bad happens, it's, it's going to be directed towards God. Like God saying, I'm going to take the brunt of your decisions. And every time I see it, I'll remember. Every time you see it, you'll remember that we are a part of this new covenant. And so what Noah is, is he's he set up for us as this righteous seed who passes the test through obedience to God's will. He survives as a remnant through the waters of death to offer a precious sacrifice. This qualifies him to become a new humanity at the helm of a renewed creation that lives in a new covenant relationship with its creator. And so, again, the hints of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent come forth. And we're like, this, this has got to be the guy, right? He did what God asked him to do over and over. He chooses this tree of life that has delivered him. He uses that as a way to commune with God, set up a new covenant for all humanity, right? And, and then we read, then Noah, a man of the ground, began... And he plants a garden. He plants a vineyard. You're like, this is exactly what I would expect. If we have a new creation story, and we have humanity communing with God on a high mountain place, there's got to be a garden involved. But there's also a test involved. Noah, he has been delivered through this ark, tree of life, and now he is surrounded by this other fruit. This, another tree, if you will. And the question is, is what is Noah going to do? Is he going to continue to hold on to the, the, the tree that produced life for him and his family? Or is he going to reach out and take a different fruit from a different tree, a different vine? And the next verse says, so he 
drank some of the wine. He, he reaches out, he takes the fruit of this new vine, and he becomes drunk and uncovered inside of his tent. And so we find a human naked in a garden once again. Except now this is uh, repercussions of the shame that the first humans felt. And then Noah's son Ham does something questionable to him in the tent, which leads to more curses for his family. Um, But this is a moment in the story where it turns, where we find out Noah, he fails the tests of the trees. He is not the ultimate snake crusher. But his story continues to set the stage for a righteous seed who will commune with God on a high mountain to deliver humanity into a new covenant by passing the tests of the trees. And here in a few weeks, we're going to talk about a guy who prays in a garden and he faces a a decision. Am I going to do what I want and what is good for me or am I going to surrender my will and sacrifice what I want for the will of the Father. Even if it leads me up on top of a hill and puts me onto a tree. And Jesus passes the test. And that is why he is the one who crushes the head of the serpent because he he does not allow the serpent to take the desires that Jesus feels and twist them for his his own self-giving needs. Instead, Jesus lays down his life for us and for the world. And so each week we go to a table and we remember exactly this what this snake crusher did in the garden. We take a piece of bread and we take a cup and we remember the covenant, this new covenant. It's not, it's not the covenant of the rainbow. Um, that's great, but it's, it's a new covenant that gives us life. So that every day when we face our own test, when we see this tree of life, the instruction of God that leads down one path, and we have this other thing that looks good in our own eyes, we have to face the decision of, am I going to surrender what I want and what looks good to me, ultimately to what God says is what is good and what is bad? And so that's, that's our decision every week. So as we go to the table today, let us wrestle with that. Are there things in my life that I'm reaching out and grabbing that are causing consequences for me and my family and my friends and generations to follow that I just need to start saying no to, surrendering to the Father and becoming a part of the new creation that Jesus offers? So let me pray for us. We've got two tables up front. We've got one in the back. We'll just spend a few few minutes communing with Jesus and each other at the tables. Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for the depth of your stories that you're able to weave things together in a way that it is living and active and speaks to us today. That while I I may not build a giant boat, um, I still face the decision every day of am I going to surrender my will or am I going to reach out and just do what feels good for myself? So God, today as we take the bread, we take the cup, let us live into this new creation live into this new covenant that changes us from the inside out. Give us a new heart and a new mind so that we can bring glory to you in everything that we do. And it's through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's go to the table together.
That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.